You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about the film Jackie and the BBC thriller Apple Tree Yard. Anna has also watched Silicon Valley for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've been going through the emails, as we all want to do. We have an email from Alana who says that she's a long-time listener, first-time recommender. <laughs> <laughs> Love it when people say that. Me too. So she says, this is probably a tiny bit left of field, but I'd like to recommend a podcast series that's basically a radio play, but zombies. <laughs> <laughs> good, um, good. She says she liked it because she's a big fan of sci-fi and it's called We're Alive, A Story of Survival which follows a group of survivors of a zombie apocalypse in downtown LA. She said it was a great way to liven up her commute and that the story is told through diary-style entries in which each of the different characters are writing dramatised scenes like a radio play. The first series or so is a bit up and down in quality, but overall it got me hooked and the latter series are great. So that sounds really fun. That does sound really great. Actually, podcast format audio drama is something that I'm only just really getting into. Mm. I mentioned in one of the podcast columns I wrote for the New Statesman website a while back that it was a bit of a kind of blind spot of mine. And people have just been sending me their stuff ever since. And yeah, it's really, really good. Great. Well, I hope to get involved with We're Alive. We've also had an email from Joanna, who is picking up on something that we mentioned last week from another email. And this is this Norwegian drama. Mm. Now, I don't really know how to say it. It's S-K-A-M. So Joanna says it rhymes with the English sum. So Scum. Scum, I think must be it. Maybe. But anyway, Joanna says, I've held off tweeting you about it because I thought everyone else already had. Nope. Nope, just the one other person emailed us. <laughs> it's become huge, particularly in Sweden and Denmark, as well as Norway. But really throughout Europe, people of all ages seem to like it. I was late to it, but I was blown away, despite it being so hyped. And then she just addresses some of the points that we mentioned and why she liked it. She said, the social media is handled so well. So this, if you remember from last week, the show is made up partly of video and partly of, you know, interactions between the characters, Instagram and Twitter accounts and stuff like that. It's a kind of multi-platform drama. She said it's handled so well. It's one of the best parts of the show. It's so real. And a large part of the characters' lives actually happen in the text messages. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is just like an epistolary novel isn't it you know mm. but in tv form she said the writer's a genius and it's done really similarly to skins each season focuses on a, on one particular character 
So that's really interesting. She said it's shot really beautifully, reminding me of some films like Blue is the Warmest Colour, really close and slow and intimate, and said it's about girls and friendship. I mean, I really want to watch this. Yes, I also had a friend get in touch who's Norwegian saying that she just really, really recommends it. But we've hit a stumbling block, haven't we? Which is that we don't speak Norwegian. And we don't know how to watch this with English subtitles. So yeah, scum fans out there, please can you tell us, or ideally send links, how do we watch this? Can you just link us? (laughs) Because we don't know how to do it. You know, we're happy to pay, we just want to be able to see it. Oh, and while we're asking you for favours like free links to Norwegian TV shows, (laughs) we would also like to ask you a big favour, which is to go on iTunes, if that is where you listen to your podcast, and write something nice in the review box. You all write such nice things when you write to us about how much you're enjoying it, so if you could just write some of them on iTunes that would really really help us find some new listeners and maybe get featured yes thank you to the best listeners in the world so moving on the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Jackie which is a biopic starring Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy and it follows her life after the shooting of her husband US President John F Kennedy in 1963 it's directed by Pablo Lorraine and also stars Peter Sarsgaard Greta Gerwig and John Hurt People like to believe in fairy tales. You ready? Of course. And you? I believe that the characters we read about on the page end up being more real than the men who stand beside us. I found this film intensely stressful to Mm -hmm. watch, but also interesting. So I often struggle with a film that covers a very, very well-known historical event. Mm -hmm. I either find myself really bored because I think, well, I know what happens. He's going to die. Or I get really caught up in it like it's a thriller and I forget that the person's going to die and then I get really sad. In this case, I veered more towards the boredom option. Mm -hmm. I think partly because it's the way the film's been made. I found it to be quite like dream trance-like, which I think is supposed to reflect Jackie's state of mind and Mm -hmm. the kind of fugue state that she ends up in. But there was one pivotal moment that I thought really made it stand out, which was the way it really showed you the visceral horribleness of what it's like to be in a car next to someone getting shot. Mm. All those shots of the car like speeding towards the hospital with her, with his like blood all over her her face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a political event we've heard so much about, but actually I've never heard about what it was like to basically sit next to a dead man. Yeah, they sort of save that stuff Mm. for towards the end of the film because it's quite hard to have momentum, as you say, in a film where you know that what's going to happen And this is one where they sort of play around with chronology quite a lot. So you open with a journalist who's clearly come to interview her about these events. Mm. And towards the end of the film, we revisit the times when JFK was president and that, you know, she was, Jackie was really happy. And so they play around with that a lot. And that means that they can save some of those really dramatic scenes to show you them in full in that really unfiltered way towards the end. But I agree with what you say, that this is more a film about a woman's state of mind than it is a film about political events. It sort of goes behind those iconic images that we've seen, like Johnson being sworn in while Mm. Jackie stood there in her bloodstained pink Chanel suit. It goes behind those really iconic images to explore how she was feeling rather than to explore the sort of political turmoil going on at the time. Yeah, and that is, I think, it's a necessary thing because it is such a well-trodden bit of history. Mm-hmm. 
so I think, yeah, they had to bring something fresh to it and calling it Jackie and making it a look inside her mind was the way to do that. I did also really like how they'd meticulously gone for the iconography Mm -hmm. of it in the look of it Mm -hmm. so all of her clothes and a lot of the poses you know of like her walking down the plane steps are so recognizable because of the photographs or the footage that you've seen and that was a really good way of like jolting you into realizing that you were seeing behind those images the lighting and the coloring is so that 60s look of the Mm. time there's a lot of playing around with aspect ratio and other things in this movie to try and make you feel like you're sort of either there at the time or looking at the photos at the time or watching the the live tv footage there's lots of like you know filming of people watching tv or filming people filming things actually as well yeah exactly I haven't seen Pablo Lorraine's other stuff, but he did a film called No, apparently, yeah. which in which they worked really hard to use actual footage from the period that they were depicting mm. and getting the actors and the scenes to integrate as seamlessly as possible with that actual footage of the time. And although I don't think they've done any of that here, the fact that I'm even saying I don't think shows how well they sort of integrate some of those bits of documentaries with Natalie Portman as Jackie showing all the work she's done on the White House. Mm. That feels like they could have used a few shots from a real TV documentary and laced them into the format because they've worked really hard on making that seamless. And I think that really pays off in terms of locating you in that time. Yeah, I agree. What did you think of Portman's performance? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, it's so difficult in a film that is about what someone's not saying essentially, which is a lot of what this film is about. And they anchor it with this interview that Life magazine did, which was a very short interview and uh, really centred only around, you know, two or three long quotes from Jackie. And then years later, he donated his notes from that interview to, you know, a JFK library. And when you look at the notes, there's so many notes. They're, they're all available online and I would recommend reading them next to the life interview because clearly so much was said and you also get Jackie's own notes on top of his notes so you can oh, see I how realize, she's yeah. helped shape the interview. So that at the end of the film, you sort of see her mm, annotating yeah, his true. notes and it feels like a bit of artistic license, but that is something that happened. Mm. So it's really difficult as an actress, I think, to pull off like, oh, this is about what she didn't say at the time and what was going on in her head. But I think she does it as well as, as it can be done. You know, there's no special acting tricks that say, oh, this is what I'm really thinking here. You can see it in my yeah. face. But you do get a sense of this just like this onslaught of grief and trauma and the changing of her mind about the funeral and it's yeah I think it's really well done and you do also get that really what I think of as a very Natalie Portman thing of incredibly contained energy Mm. she is really good like I'm thinking of Black Swan and stuff like that she is really good at seeming like she's almost vibrating with something whilst not actually moving Mm -hmm. um I did think she she you know translated that really well into grieving I liked her accent as well um my boyfriend said that he found her you know, when she addresses her daughter as Caroline. Yes. Said he found it very like Emily Gilmore's Lorelai. Oh, yeah. It is similar, it's actually. that similar sort of but like it's... rich, not Atlantic, but like, you know, all over the country American accent. But it's also, I think, that's accurate given where Lorelai Gilmore is mm-hmm. from. Like, mm-hmm. that is roughly Kennedy land, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the right place, I think. So, yeah. I, I... can't say that I massively enjoyed watching this film, though. Because mm-hmm. I, it's quite traumatic and it is yeah as you say you you are supposed to be immersed in her grief which is obviously not a fun thing one thing it made me think of was 
the relationship between like grief and beauty, mm. which I feel like is something that I think about when we another thing that we discussed on seriously, the year of magical thinking. Yeah. And these two women who are so iconically beautiful, Joan Didion and Jackie Kennedy, both in that sort of like intellectual way that quotes classy way that we think of and they both obviously have suffered great traumas and great periods of grief and there were some moments in this film where you see like you know her in that pink chanel suit that's covered in blood and she's walking and she's little and it's so hard not to be like wow that's just a beautiful image even though you know that it's all really about death and why do we have make those connections in our minds between death and beauty i thought that as well with all the shots of her like rippling black veil and stuff Mm -hmm. where you know she just looks it's objectively a beautiful piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently read the follow-up to A Year of Magical Thinking mm. by Joan Didion called Blue Nights, which is about... So if the first book is about the death of her husband, the second book is about the death of her daughter, mm. who died about 18 months after really soon. her husband. Yeah, After being in a coma for a long time and never really recovering from various brain surgeries and stuff. Mm. And there's a part of that book where she talks about aging and uh, you know grief and age going together Mm. Uh, and she frames it through like the clothes that she will never wear and uh, never wear again and she talks about I think they're red velvet sandals with a four inch heel or something and she kind of equates the realization that she'll never see her daughter again is the same as the realization that she'll never be the person that wears red velvet sandals with a four inch heel again. And there's that moment in Jackie where she comes out and her child says, why are you dressed funny, mum? And she says, well, this is what we wear when very sad things happen and a very sad thing has happened. And I don't know why I I thought about Joan Didion in connection with Jackie, but, you know, Jackie also lost her two of her children as well as her husband. And there's just something about those figures of grief that are meant to be beautiful that struck me i also really love the score to this film which is by mika levi and i've been listening to it for like a month since before watching the film um and it's so layered and clever and it's sort of that very grand slightly orchestral very occasional sort of music that you would expect for this sort of film you know like period white house but it's got this real note of horror to it like the you know the blood splatters on a very formal dress or suit it and then you've got these like very you know horrible kind of like whining strings that are quite bitter and yeah I loved that I love that combination again good sort of ambient music but there was a great piece over MTV we keep mentioning MTV at the moment because they're doing lots of great writing by Hazel Kills who sort of analyzes the soundtrack and why it fits the movie well which we'll put in the show notes. Did you have the feeling while you were watching this I did that Whilst this is a film I would watch at any time of year, obviously this has been released very much with like a tilt at the awards, Mm. you know, big biopic, actress like pulling out an amazing performance, Mm -hmm. etc. But I don't think it's going to do very well, do you? I mean, it's hard to tell. It's not going to capture people like La La Land has, I don't think, because it's quite nuanced and sensitive and it's quite hard to be like, this is what the film is about. It's quite hard to sum up its impact. Uh, in an easy way and it probably doesn't play to the academy in the same way so i don't know really one thing i noticed and i wonder if you noticed this there was a part played by well there's a role in this film which is just like some security guy who was present during the shooting who is like saying to jackie you know oh, we can't, ha- I'll talk about the funeral arrangements and whether we can have this. And, you know, I heard the two shots and blah, blah, blah. Do you remember? 
that he like is in sort of the room when she's got her children around. Oh, vaguely. And he's like very chiseled. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you spot the actor? No. Jack from Silent Witness. What? <laughs> Played as like a White House security. Yeah. I'm, oh I no, I didn't checked. clock that at all. <laughs> I was just like security guard man. Like he's barely in it. Yeah. <laughs> so people who watch BBC programming like Silent Witness might be shocked to see a staple <laughs> of our viewing have a cameo in this movie it was a very small part but it gave me great pleasure nonetheless yeah i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Apple Tree Yard, which is a BBC adaptation of a thriller novel from Louise Doughty, starring Emily Watson as Dr. Yvonne Carmichael, who is a scientist who goes to give some evidence at a select committee meeting at Westminster and meets a tall, dark, handsome stranger. And therein, the drama develops. person I can talk to about you is you. Have you seen the chapel in the crib? You're married. So am I. You saw me. 
I really think you did. And I saw you. Excluding 10 minutes at the end, which were quite horrible, this is basically a sex romp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this makes you sound like a sun columnist. <laughs> it is. And it's funny, actually. So I was Googling this morning, trying to like just see what other people had thought of it and stuff. And I found this amazing article on the Daily Mail, which I think prior to it airing had written a kind of like, apparently there's 10 whole minutes of sex yeah, in this yeah. hour-long programme type article. The sun like counted up minute by minute. And then yeah. I think lots of other publications followed suit. So they, they followed that up this morning with people actually didn't find it that sexy and then it just embedded loads of tweets from people saying like oh they haven't got much chemistry have they <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> i found it very sexy i have to say it's quite like so it's the story of a you know middle-aged woman having an affair with a middle-aged man who we assume is also married but we don't really know anything about him so it's not like crazy youthful tantric like you know pornographic sex it's like should we be doing this the thrill is the taboo public place mm. toilet alleyway sex but f- i don't know for me i still really enjoyed it i found it something it's quite like mumsy erotica but i just found it quite fun so yeah there, there's quite a lot of interspersing of the mundane with the sexy right because mm-hmm. the first time when they're doing it in the cupboard um he doesn't we have he to like... talk about this in more detail we can't just yeah. say in the cupboard oh, right so it's the cupboard it's the cupboard in the house <laughs> of commons where emily wilding davidson um, like hid herself so that she could be counted on the census yeah. as part of the suffragette movement. So. so if you're British and you've ever like gone to see the Houses of Parliament on a tour, the like coolest bit of the tour is if they decide to take you to the crypt and it's like a beautiful gold chapel and it's like hidden underneath Westminster Hall and then the like you know cool thing about that chapel is that there's a cupboard where as you say emily wilding davidson spent a night and was able to register her address as the house of commons so that she might be able to vote and tony ben a british mp put a plaque up about it so this is it's really funny and he like uses this to like seduce her he's like have you never seen the chapel in the crypt and like comes back with keys and meanwhile her husband is texting her about nose drops and she's like "Ugh, gary with his drippy nose (laughs) and then like this guy like takes her down into the cup into the chapel and shows her the cupboard which is like a brilliant move because it's like hey attractive woman come with me a strange man into this broom cupboard where i shall show you what a great feminist i am <laughs> yeah it is it is like a plus exactly um, like, it's like woke, so woke man seduction yeah it's like literally the, the least feminist thing you've ever seen in your life and then they bang in front of emily wilding and, davidson uh, they bang in front of the ghost of emily wilding davidson and at some point she like kicks a mop over a mop yeah. bucket over and it's all very like yeah this like layering of the ridiculous and the sexy i have to say i did not find this show sexy you did just me. I, I did not i know i think lots of other people on the internet did do but i didn't but that's partly just because i don't as a rule find tv sex that sexy mm-hmm. especially not when basically the stress that she was feeling about maybe getting caught should she be doing this all I felt was the stress. Just the so, anxiety. Yes. So the whole time I was watching this, I felt very anxious about her getting caught and ruining her otherwise quite okay life. You know, fine, her husband has a drippy nose, but he seems okay otherwise. He is much more attractive. So her husband, yes. Gary, is the villain in New Blood, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is, was like quite sexy in New Blood. Mm, he and was. He is just a very sexy man. And the affair guy visually not as handsome so i would really like it if they had cast these roles the other way around yeah and then i would have like fallen for the spy i also character a lot more. think that yeah so 
the guy that she's banging in cupboards and stuff we assume is a spy yeah we don't don't know we don't know because we haven't read the book and there's only been one episode because he won't say what his job is he just sort of vaguely implies that he's in the civil service and then doesn't really tell her anything about his life and keeps saying that it's very boring which is the thing that people with exciting jobs do to like let you know that their job is exciting they're like oh it's so dull yeah so that was a moment of implausibility for me because i felt like someone as like smart and cool as she is would not just accept that this man's like, oh yeah, I've got this boring job that I don't really like to talk about, let's bang. Mm. Like She'd be like, no, what is your job? What actually is your name? But like, she quite likes it, doesn't she? She's yeah. like turned on by the fact that he might be a spy. Anyway, so as you can probably tell from the way we're discussing it, there's not much of a plot in the beginning. It's just like a lot of her meeting up with this guy and having sex. Yeah. And, and then it all of... takes a sour turn, right? Yes, there's a rape scene. Yeah, so we won't go into between who or how it happens, but I really don't know where it's going to go from here. And obviously we haven't read the book, but I assume that a murder will happen soon. A murder has to happen because we did see, is it at the beginning or we saw a flashback to her like in a security van Mm -hmm. being driven across Westminster Bridge. Mm -hmm. I've also heard this book described as a courtroom drama. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she must, I think she, there's definitely going to be a murder of some kind and she must be arrested for it then. Mm -hmm. We can, we can say that much. But it's another one actually where like the, the chronology is a bit unclear and it like circles around itself mm-hmm. a lot which i think you know it's all part of the what i've heard called chick noir actually um i read Ooh. i know apparently that's like gone girl and girl on the train and i Why guess can't this it just as be well noir with a woman Why no does no it have to be chick, chick noir, noir. <laughs> um Shut up. i know but so I feel like manipulating time and unreliable narrators and stuff is a trope of yes those books these books yes. and so that this is definitely something we've got here as well. Um, having said that, I didn't find it that sexy. I did think Emily Watson was really good. Yeah, she's very easy to watch, isn't she? In mm. that sort of like you don't you're not sat there like. I mean, there's no reason to compare this to Jackie other than we were just talking about it, but you're watching Natalie before Portman play Jackie and you're thinking, how good is she at this? Like, mm. no, no, no. Whereas Emily Watson is just always so easy to watch. You just forget that you're like watching an actress. It's just very... Oh, yeah. I mean, I did several times like talk to the screen and say like, don't talk to that guy. He's clearly a weirdo, you know, because I felt like I could communicate directly with the character. Mm-hmm. You know, you lost that feeling of there being an intermediary. Mm-hmm. So this show also had echoes for me of another slightly shit spy drama of, I think it was on last year or possibly the year before called London Spy. It starred Ben Whishaw and Charlotte Rampling. So this show promised so much. So it stars Ben Whishaw as a kind of um, slightly, oh, Jim Broadbent was in it too, a slightly hopeless, like, 20 something gay man living in london um working in a horrible like amazon warehousey type job and he just one day out on a walk meets this amazing guy and they really fall for each other and they're really happy he's called alex and alex lives near him and i think i can know what the twist is coming yeah so so then yeah one day ben wishall goes around to alex's house he's not there he can't find him he's not answering any of his phone number phones or anything and eventually Ben Wishaw discovers a creepy sex attic radical departure from creepy sex dungeon it was in the attic Mm -hmm. uh, and he's poking around the creepy sex attic and he's like wow we never did any of this stuff like he never even (laughs) mentioned he was into any of this and then gradually he realizes that Alex is dead in the suitcase oh like looking at him the whole time yeah and then the whole rest of the show is just Ben Wishaw 
trying to find out how someone he thought he knew so well could have this whole could have a creepy sex other life. <laughs> well, yeah, and no, then it I all guess. gets very complicated. And basically, he, yeah, Alex is a spy and all this stuff. So it re- reminded you of it reminded me strongly of that in the the free song of like sex with a spy being the center mm-hmm. of the show, but then also the style of thriller where you're kind of placed in the head of a protagonist who doesn't know what's going on. Mm. Yeah. You know, you as the viewer don't get any privileged information in this. Mm-hmm. You find out things when Yvonne does. Yeah. No, that's definitely... And that's, yeah, as you say, like, part of this whole group of novels and so on. I'm definitely going to keep watching. Mm. Definitely want to know where it's going because it's just withheld enough information for me to keep me interested. Last time I recommended Anna watch the HBO sitcom Silicon Valley. Anna, what did you make of it? So this is a program about tech nerds mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. As you can tell from the way I'm introducing it, a lot of this was lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand what they were talking about a lot of the time. And I think part of the problem sometimes that we have with recommending each other TV shows is that you can only really watch one in the week. And the first episode is really setting a lot of stuff up. There's a lot of like tech speak about Mm. like different people's startups and what they do and why they might be valuable and how much value one thing might have versus another that I just didn't understand. But, you know, they do enough for you to let you know as the audience that he's stumbled across a billion dollar idea that he doesn't even understand. He's tried to make one thing and in the process has invented something that's actually a lot more valuable for corporate purposes so yes they do do enough to explain it to you but i just felt like i was dealing with that more than i was thinking about how do these characters relate to one another where's the humor coming from with these people and i'm sure a huge failing of the first episode is that there is not much jared who is your favorite he has quite a small part in this first episode yeah so i feel like it is definitely a kind of front heavy show in that they do a lot of the heavy lifting like setting up Mm -hmm. what is what and establishing the parameters of it in the first episode it kind of calms down a bit after that and Mm. becomes a lot more of a sitcom of like five guys in a slightly shit house trying to start a company Mm -hmm. and as soon as you get into that more confined space it i think you get more like into character relationships and stuff and so jared quits his job at the big company mm-hmm. i think in the second episode to come and work with them oh in i the see small one. i wasn't expecting yeah that. so he becomes this kind of well he because he's very like subservient and helpful and he transfers his allegiance from like the big boss mm-hmm. at the big company to richard the guy who's accidentally had the great idea and so richard's just perpetually baffled by why jared keeps asking him permission to do things <laughs> and jared keeps asking him so like richard um, should i should i write the business plan and richard's like mm, yes <laughs> <laughs> and i just find his like constant desire to help and everyone else is constant forgetting that he exists Love. really endearing that's cute there's also later on in the first series he someone offers him like a lift back from a meeting in their self-driving car and the self-driving car drives itself into a shipping container and then the shipping (laughs) container gets shipped off to some like man-made island out in international waters 
because that's where the car's supposed to be delivered to or something. And he's trapped there for four days. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, bless Jared. So, yeah, I think perhaps it doesn't have its best stuff up front, this show. Yeah, it definitely gets more more dramatic. The laughs come faster later on, I think. The, mm-hmm. I just watched the season one finale over the weekend, which, again, it, it does still retain some of what you're saying, though, about the over-techiness, because the season one finale is set at this big tech conference where they have to present their like beta version of their app mm-hmm. and there are other apps and someone like basically gazumps them and presents a better version of their thing before they present oh, their God. thing. And then overnight, Richard, again, completely accidentally doubles it. And like whatever he said he could do in a certain amount of time, suddenly he can do it in half the time. Mm. Um, and ev- everyone like wets themselves because this has never been done before. But as you're, as you can see, I'm talking about some very vague terms because yeah. I don't understand what it no. is. And I'm sure it's quite like science fictiony. If you actually knew what you were talking about, you'd be like, "No, hang on, this is bollocks." But I don't know enough to say these sorts of things. Can I controversially use this segment of the podcast to ask you: Have you continued watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I've kind of petered out mm. a bit. Whereabouts are you? Um, maybe twelve or thirteen episodes. Okay, I'm on the second season. Oh wow, you've overtaken me then. Basically, Greg, the actor Greg, leaves. What? And so, like, literally, what are we meant to do now? It's so annoying. So they're, like, really trying to force the, like, Josh oh, no. elements of the storyline. Was... Because Greg, I feel like Greg was so clearly endgame. Yeah, And yeah, now they've, yeah. like, shafted Greg. So I'm, like, left, like, what is the shell of the show that I'm watching? <laughs> bring back <laughs> Greg. Anyway, just wanted to interrupt your regular programming to say bring yeah. back Greg. Okay, update on a previous recommend. I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so for you next time... I thought we'd return to the idea of doing some short stories. Mm. So Fen by Daisy Johnson is a collection of short stories that I have been recommended so many times by so many different people. So I thought the recommend section might be a good opportunity for us to maybe tackle that one together. Mm. What do you think? That sounds really good. Okay, good. Because we enjoyed the last short story collection we did on Seriously. I did. And I, I mean, I very rarely not enjoyed a short story when I'm given it, but I just don't seek them out. I never think to... Like, browse collections of them when I'm looking for a new book. Okay, cool. So let's pick some short stories to read from Daisy Johnson's fan and we'll get back to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including in iTunes, where you could leave us a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show. You can get all our back episodes on seriouslypod.com. We're going to announce more events very soon, so make sure you go there and sign up for our newsletter so you're the first to know when tickets are on sale. Also there on the website, you can find our specials on Home Alone, Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're available many other places on the internet including on twitter facebook and tumblr with srsly pod on all of them we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the show Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.